Hey everyone, it's Steve here from The Emotion Machine, and this is a new episode of The Emotion Machine podcast, but it's going to be a little bit different than past episodes since I don't have any guests with me. So I'm not really sure if this is going to be considered a new episode or maybe a new type of podcast series, um, thinking about calling it Talking to Myself since that's basically what I'll be doing, is talking to myself. But I do have some announcements to make, and I also have some studies I want to share with you guys, as well as some questions that I can answer um, through Twitter. Um, But first of all, um, I should probably announce that I've been really busy the past month, Um, It's been a really good year for me so far, actually. Very good year, lots of things happening, being very productive. But um, one of the things that I've been focusing on a lot lately is a new book because a publisher actually reached out to me around November and um, asked me if if, um, I wanted to publish a book with them. So... um, Um, That's going to be something I'm focusing on for the next few months is writing this book. I can't really reveal too much about it except that it's going to be about small habits. So little, little things, little habits people can do to improve their motivation, productivity, relaxation, overall happiness, stuff like that. Just little tiny changes you can make to your routine. That's going to be the main focus of the book. And it should be out um, late fall this year. Um, Obviously, I'll keep you guys updated on all all of that. But I just wanted to make that announcement uh, for you guys. Um, It's something that I'm really, really excited about because, as you guys know, I've been writing about psychology and self-improvement now for about eight years. And um, I've always had it in the back of my mind that I would like to get published one day. And, you know, for a publisher to finally reach out to me and offer me a book deal is a, you know, a very awesome thing for me and something that I'm super excited about. And um, so that's going to be a big focus for me, at least in the beginning of this year. And that's also why I want to record this podcast, because um, I've been kind of bad at writing new articles lately. And I apologize for that. But it's just a lot of my writing energy is going toward the book right now. And um, that's why it's easier for me to record a podcast where I can sort of just talk to you guys and um, just give you quick information about things rather than having to write out a whole article. But anyway, that's, um, that's one of the big announcements for me. That's something that's really started my year off on a good note. Um, I should also mention that I'm recording this on my phone right now, so I apologize if the audio is not that good. Um, The problem is I actually spilt a bunch of tea on my laptop last week and completely destroyed it, completely destroyed my laptop, which sucks a lot. Um, Fortunately, I saved all um, my information, all my writing is saved online, so I didn't lose any of that. But um, for convenience reasons and money reasons, um, it definitely sucks to destroy your laptop. But um, it's a temporary problem, and by next month, I'll hopefully have a new laptop, and um, I'll have forgotten all about it. So uh, not too big of a deal, but just something to let you guys know about. But yeah, overall, my year's been really great so far. But um, 
I wanted to now get into some studies and articles that I've come across over the past month. Um, as some of you guys know, you know, I follow psychology research very closely. You know, I have a feed set up for myself that follows, you know, 50 different publications, online websites, um, journals, stuff like that. So I'm always trying to keep track of new research in psychology and see where it's going. Um, so I want to share a couple little studies with you guys. Um, the first one here is exposure to nature promotes a positive body image. And uh, there's some interesting research that's just been published. Um, and I'll send I'll, I'll include links to this so you guys can always um, see the actual uh, articles and, and journal information. But um, what they did was they had um, participants measure their um, body image um, before and after uh, doing a nature walk or looking at um, even just looking at photos of nature. And what they found was that that when people did this, their body image actually experienced a, a positive boost and people actually felt better about their bodies after doing a little nature walk or even just looking at images of lakes, mountains and forests. So um, it's another interesting effect of exposure to nature and how it can improve us. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen plenty of studies about how, you know, exposure to nature can minimize stress and help with anxiety and um, things like that. So it's interesting that it can also help out with body image. Um, I also, and it's also interesting that you don't even really need to be necessarily in nature, but even just looking at photographs of nature can actually have this effect on you. And it reminds me of an article I wrote last year about um, watching nature documentaries can also help boost positive emotions and minimize stress. Um, that was actually part of a study that was done with Planet Earth 2, and uh, they found that when people watched nature clips that they experienced, experienced more positive emotions like joy and awe and gratitude even. So, you know, just one of those things to always keep in mind about how nature and exposure to nature can have a positive effect on our minds. And another study um, also in line with this is um, students, students more engaged and attentive, attentive following outdoor lessons in nature. So this was a study that was published in Frontiers in Psychology, and um, they looked at uh, nine to 10-year-old children um, in the classroom, and they had some, they had teachers do some lessons outside in like a little nature park that was by the school, and then they had teachers also do the same lesson with students that um, in an indoor setting, in a regular classroom setting. And they found that um, um, students were actually um, retained a lot more information and had much better attention spans when they were actually learning these lessons outside in nature. So that's another interesting effect on how um, nature can help with student engagement and performance and uh, just another one of many examples of how exposure to nature can really improve our minds in various ways. Uh, let's see what else I got here. I have a, just a bunch of tabs here of, of different studies I've come across over the past, um, over the past month. 
Um, let's see here. Um, yeah, this was an interesting study. A connection between writing and sleeping. Um, there was a new study published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology that suggests an easy and effective solution for falling asleep. And that is simply to write in a journal for five minutes before bed. But critically, what helps most is not writing about what you accomplished during the day, but writing out your to-do list for tomorrow. So what this study found was that making a little to-do list before bed actually helped people fall asleep easier. And uh, this makes a lot of intuitive sense, actually. Um, there's been a lot of studies about how writing things down can help us with um, just um, not always stressing about things and having them float around in our minds. It's good to just write down, you know, what it is that's on your mind. And often by doing that, it's easier to let go of what's on your mind. You know, if you put your head, you know, you, you go to lay down in bed and you're thinking like, oh, I got to do this tomorrow. I got to do this tomorrow. I got to do this tomorrow. And, um, you know, you start stressing about it. You start becoming anxious about it. And um, you also don't really remember everything because you just have all these ideas that are coming to you of all the things that you need to get done tomorrow. So a really quick, simple solution. Just take five minutes and write down, you know, three to five main things that you need to get done the next day. And that's going to help you to ease your mind, um, not have to be continuously ruminating about what you need to do the next day. And by letting go of that and um, minimizing your stress, you know, relieving stress, that's going to help you to fall asleep better. So that's a really, really good tiny tip for, um, for minimizing stress and helping to, to fall asleep. So that's really good, um, really good little tip to follow. Um, here's another interesting study. Why sauna bathing is good for your health. Um, yeah, this study, where was it published? Um, I, I'm not sure exactly the journal it was published at, but um, I'm looking at an article here at neurosciencenews.com. And um, they just report that um, an experimental study carried out in the Sauna and Cardiovascular Health Project provides new insight into changes that can take place in the human body during and after having a sauna. The study analyzed the effects of a 30-minute sauna bath in 100 test subjects. In particular, the objective was to analyze the role of vascular compliance and reduced blood pressure in the health benefits caused by sauna bathing. So, and what this study found was that a 30-minute sauna bath reduces blood pressure and improves vascular performance. Um, so that's another interesting thing. Um, you know, I, I don't know how I would really apply this to, um, you know, your daily life. Um, you know, not everyone has access to a sauna, but I could certainly see how, you know, it could be just Good for your, good for your heart rate. Good for your cardiovascular system. I believe it's also good for, you know, maybe losing a little bit of weight or um, improving your skin. So um, you know, saunas are, are um, something that could be a, a beneficial thing to do every now and then. Um, I know sometimes I I sort of steam up my bathroom. Sometimes I have a little tiny bathroom and I'll just put the shower on, um, you know, really hot and. Um, steam it up a little bit and um, 
sort of do some stretching in the in the uh, mist um, while um, b- you know before I jump in the shower. So that's like a little thing that maybe you can use to apply that sort of um, get that sauna effect. And um, I find it just to be a good way to get the blood flowing in my body and wake me up in the morning before I jump in the shower. So that's a little thing I wanted to share with you guys. Um, another interesting study, mindfulness training leads to kindness toward socially ostracized strangers. Um, they found that people, after going through mindfulness training, which of course is something I write about a lot on my blog, um, improving mindfulness, practicing meditation, trying to be more aware of your surroundings. Um, you can easily find my meditation guide, which is a good introduction to this. You can find that at theemotionmachine.com slash free-self-improvement-downloads. So it's theemotionmachine.com slash free-self-improvement-downloads um, with dashes in between the words. And you can download my meditation guide there which is a great introduction introduction to just um, becoming more mindful of your surroundings. Um, but yeah, this study found that mindfulness increases pro-social responses toward ostracized strangers through empathic concern. Um, I think this is pretty intuitive for most people, but you know, when you mindfulness training and just becoming more aware of your surroundings is of course going to include becoming more aware of people and their responses, um, becoming more aware of maybe their body language and becoming more aware of the the nonverbal signals that you're sending to, that they're sending to you. So by being more mindful, you know you can you can read people easier, and by doing that, you can of course identify when people might need help or when people might need you know a little boost in their day. So this study found that mindfulness training um, actually led people to pay more attention to to others that seemed socially ostracized or just a stranger that you come across during your day that seems a little down and um, noticing that and being able to respond to that by just, you know, having a little conversation with them, maybe giving them a small compliment, just saying hi to them and giving them attention and saying, hey, I see you there you know, um, you know, just connecting with people. So um, that was an interesting study. Um, just more positive effects behind mindfulness and, um, and things like that. Um, obviously, mindfulness has, has so many positive uh, effects that we've seen in so much research. And um, it's interesting to see a study that shows how it can also help with relationships and empathy. Um, you know, obviously, being more aware is a huge aspect of empathy and specifically being more aware of other people's mental states and, and how people are thinking and feeling. Uh, one more study, um, and then I'll go into some questions that I have here on Twitter. Um, another recent study published last year in the Journal of Adolescence suggests that altruistic behaviors, including large and small acts of kindness, may raise teens' feelings of self-worth. And specifically, um, um, having teenagers volunteer for, for people, uh, volunteer for organizations, you know, local community events, um, can help boost their self-worth and self-esteem. Um, this also makes intuitive sense. I know a lot of these studies aren't groundbreaking, but it's still interesting stuff to 
talk about. Um, I think volunteering for anyone, whether you're a teen, a kid, or an adult, is going to help to boost your self-esteem because not only are you you're doing something good for someone, but you're also proving to yourself that you're valuable to people and that you can actually give value to people. And giving value to people is a great way to boost your self-esteem and boost your self-worth and just feel better about yourself because you're contributing something to the world and you actually create value. And creating value is such a fundamental aspect of, of self-worth and self-esteem and seeing yourself as valuable. So that's the last study I'll talk about for now. Um, you know, I'm always following psychology research, so I'm always trying to to learn new things, even if it's not groundbreaking stuff, you know, just paying attention to, to little findings and uh, sharing them with you guys. But now I'm going to go to my Twitter right now, and I'm going to answer some questions. Um, I had you guys ask me a bunch of questions, and I, and I, I chose a few of them that I'll try to answer. <clears throat> So anyway, um, my first question here is, do you believe cell phones and the evolution of them is ruining the next generation of social, the next generation's social skills? Um, you know, I don't like to be an alarmist when it comes to technology and the internet and social media, but I do think that we always should be concerned about how we use technology. Um, you know, I think that um, if you do spend most of your time socially interacting with people on Twitter or Facebook and not interacting with people in the real world, then yeah, that's going to that's gonna create a deficit in social skills. You know, if you're only communi communicating with people through text, you're missing out on a lot of different forms of communication, nonverbal communication, reading people's body language, reading people's facial expressions. So you need to be interacting with people in the real world to build your social skills. I mean, nowadays, you know, you might be able to have video chats with people and, and things like that, which is definitely, you know, more information than just texting. But still, I think the actual idea of interacting with people face to face in the, in the real world is going to be... Um, the best way to boost your social skills. So if you're using technology as a replacement for connecting with people in the real world, yeah, that's probably going to create a deficit in your social skills and that's going to hurt you. But if you're just using technology as a supplement to interacting with people, um, you know, especially people that you may not have access to in the real world, then, you know, that's fine. So, you know, it goes back to moderation and balance. But certainly some people who spend a lot of time on the Internet and only interact with people on the Internet are, you know, experience um, deficits in social skills. So you have to you have to be socializing in the real world to really keep your social skills on point and to really improve them. Uh, next question. Best way to help someone going through an especially anxious or depressed episode? Um, that's, that's a somewhat difficult question to answer. Um, you know, when, when people get in an episode, when people are in a really high emotional state, it's really hard to 
to help them or, or, or solve that problem in the heat of the moment like that. Um, you know, one recommendation I have for people who get into anxious or depressed episodes is to have a plan before you get into the episode. Have a plan for how you're going to react when you actually find yourself super anxious or super depressed. And a plan might include something as simple as excusing yourself from the room, you know, taking, going to the bathroom and, and giving yourself some time to relax, um, having a, a relaxing breathing technique to do when you get yourself into that state. Probably breathing is the easiest way to calm yourself down when you find yourself in a really anxious state. But the real key is to have that plan before you get into that episode. Because once you get into the heat of the moment, it's really hard to think clearly, it's really hard to think rationally, and it's really hard to know what to do. So you need to be prepared for the next episode. You need to be prepared for how you're going to respond the next time you find yourself in that situation. And then hopefully, with, when, when you actually do find yourself in that situation, um, you know you have responses that are already available to you and you have options on ways you can start to calm yourself down. Um, another good tip is to be aware of the initial signs of an anxious or, or depressive episode. Don't wait for it to get full blown, but notice, you know, maybe, you know, when your palms get sweaty, that's the first sign that you're becoming anxious. And if you can catch yourself entering these episodes at their early stages, it's also going to be easier to minimize their impact or avoid them before they become full blown. So definitely paying attention to the early signs of when you might be becoming anxious or becoming depressed. And secondly, having a plan for what to do when you find yourself entering an episode like that. Um, I hope that helps a little bit. That's kind of a vague answer, but um, that's sort of my, my take and my approach to things like that. <clears throat> Have a plan and play, pay attention to the early stages. Uh, next question. What are the long-term effects of porn, pornography use on one's psyche? Is it damaging? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to go back to moderation here. I, I think moderation is definitely um, the, the key here. It goes back to the social media answer too, where I definitely think overexposure to, to porn is going to warp your view. It's going to warp your view of relationships, warp your view of sexuality. It's also going to desensitize you to real world interactions, real world um, sexuality. So I think that um, it, it again comes back to the point of using porn as a replacement for real world interactions. And if you're doing that, then yeah, it's going to be damaging and it's going to be uh, diminishing your impact to enjoy real world experiences and build real world relationships. So that's something to be mindful of. And again, it comes, it, it comes mostly down to balance and moderation. But there are definitely people who watch too much porn, especially nowadays. And um, that's something to be mindful of, for sure. 
Um, so next question. Um, the way someone treats us, should we treat them like that too? Is it better to take revenge or just to forget it all? Um, well, you know, when someone backstabs you or disappoints you or betrays you, um, there's always that instinct to want to take revenge, to want to get back at them. Um, I definitely can relate to that experience of wanting to get back at, at people who have hurt me. Um, and I, it, I think that's definitely an unhealthy instinct. I think you end up hurting yourself by trying to get back at others. You end up, um, you know, you give people too much mental energy and physical energy when you want to get back at them. I always liked the quote that the best revenge is, is living well. And I think that that's ultimately my take on revenge. I think the best revenge is to move forward and become better and learn from your past experience and, um, and keep growing and just, just continue becoming awesome. I, I think that's the best way to take revenge is, is to live well and to, to turn your, transform yourself into a better person. That might be a little cliche, but that's, that's, what, I, that's what I actually believe. <clears throat> Uh, one, a uh, couple more questions. Do you find it easier to forgive others or to forgive yourself, and why? Um, I, I, again, I think that, and this also kind of sounds cliche, but I, I do agree that I think you have to learn how to forgive yourself before you can forgive others, because forgiving yourself means admitting that you make mistakes, admitting that you're imperfect. Admitting that sometimes you hurt people, sometimes you um, lie to people, sometimes you do bad things. And, um, and instead of trying to push that out and be like, no, no, I'm always a good person and I don't have to forgive myself. And, you know, even when I make mistakes, it's because, you know, I, I want to do that or whatever. You have, you have to see the imperfections in yourself and forgive yourself. And when you do that, it's much easier to forgive others as well. Because when you see that imperfection in others, you can relate to it because you, you know that you're imperfect too and that you make mistakes too. So it's, and that makes it much more easier to forgive others when you can recognize that you're imperfect too. So, um, yeah, yep. It's easier to forgive others when you realize that you're imperfect as well. So forgiving yourself often comes first, I would say. And then you can begin forgiving others. Uh, let's see, next question. What is the difference between the mind and the brain? Is there a clear connection? Yes, there's a connection. Um, the brain is the hardware. The mind is the software. Um, that's probably the easiest way of putting it. So, um, you know, but I think studying... So the brain and the mind are obviously connected. Um but they're just different levels of activity. So the brain is neurological activity and the mind is activity of thought and feeling and experience and behaviors. That's why neuroscientists and psychologists study different things. You know, a lot of people sometimes say like, oh, you know, neuroscience is the real science. And once we learn all about neuroscience, we're not even gonna need psychology anymore because, because we already know about the brain. So obviously we know about the mind. But no, you're studying things at a different level. Um, you know, mind, the mind is studying 
thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And when you're looking at just a brain, you're not going to see thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. You're going to see neurons and neural activity. Now, there's correlations between those, obviously. You know, there's parts of the brain correlate with different types of experiences. Um, you know, like the amygdala, the amygdala is associated with emotional reactions and fear reactions. And your visual cortex is responsible for your vision and your, your perception. So, um, you know, obviously, if you don't have a brain, I don't think you have a mind. But studying the brain and the mind are two different tasks because you're looking at a phenomenon at a different level. It's kind of like saying, if, you, if I study chemist, all of chemistry, then chemist, chemistry will replace physics because, hey, you know, water is, is only two hydrogen and one oxygen. So, so if you know that, then you know everything about water. But no, that's, of course, that's not true. You, you don't know about, um, you know, fluid dynamics and, and, and different aspects of water just by looking at the actual individual atoms. So in the same way, looking at just neurons and neural connections isn't going to tell you everything about the mind. It's studying the same phenomenon on a different scale. So um, that's sort of my take on it. I think I kind of went on a tangent there, but uh, that was an important point I wanted to make. <clears throat> one more question, one more question. What is the most frequent thought that crosses your mind during the day? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I don't record every thought that I have, and I'm sure there's a lot of thoughts that I have on a daily basis that I'm not even aware of, right? I'm sure, um, you know, probably on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a technical level, probably the most frequent thought I have is something unconscious, like move my hand or, or, or type on the keyboard or something simple like that. But, but I know what you mean. Um, you know, as far as conscious thoughts, um, you know, my, my brain goes in all sorts of different directions throughout the day, but um, it's hard to identify a most frequent thought. I really, I, I can't physically do that. I wouldn't be able to, I can't tell you. Um, I would like to think it's something like, I'm feeling good and um, I'm doing my best. I think that would be an awesome thought. If that, if that was my main thought throughout the day, then I think I'd be doing a good job. And um, so I think uh, that's a tough question to answer, but um, yeah. Anyway, um, I'm going to wrap this up now. Um, hopefully you guys found this episode entertaining or interesting. I really just wanted to make something for you guys so you guys know that I'm still thinking about you. And, um, and even though I haven't been able to write any articles lately, um, I just wanted to give you guys something to chew on. So I'm going to include links in the show notes to some of the studies that I talked about. And, um, and um, I thank you guys for listening. And I hope that I can continue recording episodes like this in the future. Um, and um, yeah, I guess that's basically it. Um, if you'd like to support me at all, you know, please check out my Patreon at theemotionmachine.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Um, I really appreciate your guys' support on that. Um, if you'd like to do a one-time donation, you can check me out on PayPal at paypal.me forward slash the emotion machine. Um, any support from you guys is greatly appreciated. 
I'm going to try to do better at releasing content more frequently. And um, thanks for listening and stay tuned for next episode. Later.